I wonder if you have thought, I don't know what kind, how you're wired. Um, you get people all across the spectrum on this. Some people who are like, you have a plan already in place for 2020. You've got your goals. Your <laughs> Carla is self-identified herself there with that snort. But uh, you have lists, goals. Everything's mapped out already. You've booked your December holiday. Um, I know that's true. Uh, and you're that kind of person. The rest of you are like, it's January? Oh, gosh, you know, they're expecting me back at work? Like, oh, that's news to me. Um, and we get everyone on different spectrum there. But I wonder if, you, as you think, whether you think, I hope 2020 is not like last year. I hope, I hope this year is not like last year. Some of you might be thinking, I hope this year is like last year. Last year was a winner. Like, I hope we just have a repeat of last year again. That would, that would be wonderful. And I want to write out of the blocks, caution you that if, if we live like that, you ride the circumstances of life up and down. And you will get to the end of 2020, either having had a good year or a bad year, and you'll be repeating the same process into 2021. This, ah, I wonder, is it going to be a good year, a bad year? And I'm hoping this morning as we look at this passage from Philippians 3 to lift our gaze a little bit and, um, and, and help us to think about a few deeper things that can ground uh, our years in something more substantial, more concrete, um, and settle us a bit. I, I want to leave with you a phrase this morning. This question of where will 2020 find you? Where will 2020 find you? And out of Philippians 3, there are three words that summarize the message. So if you have attention difficulties, this is the summary of the sermon. Um, the, The three words are this, found in him. Found in him. That's what Paul says. He wants to be found in him. If someone's looking for you, that's where they're going to find you. Found in him. That would be my prayer for us as a church. Anyone's looking for you, looking for us this year, that's where they're going to find us. They're going to find us in him. Not just in an identity sense, relating with our time, with our priorities, with the affections of our heart. We're going to be found in him. So let's read this passage where we find these words and then we're going to dig into a few points that will hopefully uh, bring strength into our hearts this morning. From Philippians 3, from verse 1. It says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about these religious nutters who had... Um, a high view of circumcision and basically you couldn't be anything without it. He says, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, 
I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but, the, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we, we are so grateful for the gift of your word, grateful that you speak, we're grateful that you've spoken and that you continue to speak. We're grateful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And right now we ask, Father, that you would work amongst us, collectively here together as your people, gathered around your word and under it, that you would speak and that we would hear. Unblock our ears, soften the hardness of our hearts, open up our eyes. We want to see uh, you. We want to be captured by you again. We want to be messing around with trivial things. We want to be amazed and astounded and dazzled by you and the glory of Jesus Christ this morning again. And so we pray that as we look at your word now, you would teach us by the Holy Spirit. You promised that you would do this. And so we pray now, Teach us collectively through your word. Strengthen us according to it. Put foundations into us. Breathe life into us. Grant grace to us through your word. For our good and for your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's uh, six things that I would pray for us out of this passage for 2020. I know I'm supposed to have three-point sermons, but it's like a back-to-school bulk special, and we're having six, um, six points here. So my prayer for us for 2020 is this, that, that God would find us confident in Jesus alone. Confident in Jesus alone is the first thing. Think about Paul for a second. Paul says here he, he was from the right family. He had the right upbringing. He was the right race. He had the right education. He had the right everything. He was moral. He was a better person than you are. He was the full package. He, he was a good guy. And not just good, he was excellent. He was above his peers. And he, had, he, could, he could appeal to lineage, to education, to his, uh, his moral upstanding nature, to his zeal in persecuting the church. He's hardworking, works harder than anybody else. If Paul walked in here this morning, you'd probably be pretty impressed with him. If he start talking, telling you, 
what he's been up to in December. He wasn't slacking on the beach like some of you. He was probably building huts in Mozambique, houses for people, or doing something meaningful with his time or something. You know? He'd be doing something impressive. Not running the beach, uh, the park run on the beach down in Kids Beach like some slackers. And, uh, you know, he would have been doing something like changing the world. Paul's an impressive dude. You know what he says? He says all of that stuff, what does he count it as? Rubbish. Dung. I mean, that's a polite word. I don't think they're allowed to swear in the Bible. Uh, But it's a stronger word than translates into dung. He counts it as rubbish. He says, if I look at all of that stuff, it, it, it amounts to nothing. I consider it all nothing. It's all lost, having found Christ. Having found Jesus, if I look at all of the stuff that I could appeal to for confidence and for authority or for some sense of worth and identity and being, it means nothing. So as we start a new year, here's my first question to you. Well, I think it's my first one, but another one. What, what are you confident in for this year? What are you confident in? Your job? You may not have a job at the end of the year. Your education? Your bank account? Your race? Your brilliance? Your charisma? Your gifts? Your connections? I mean, you've got something. We all got something that we're going to lean to for a little bit of confidence to prop, up, prop us up. So don't look to your left and right and think, I'm sure this person next to me, I think I, think, I, think I know what their one is, definitely. I don't have any, I'm pretty sure. Dodge that bullet. Whew, at least I got through point one without feeling the heat on this. Yeah, we've all got something that we're looking to and leaning to for a bit of confidence. And Paul says, outside of Jesus, you have nothing. I pray that 2020 finds you confident in Jesus alone. Guys, we have nothing. I had a lunch with a a friend this week and we were just reveling and delighting in the fact that outside of the grace of Jesus Christ, we feel pretty bereft. We feel like we feel an emptiness. We feel like we feel inadequate to be husbands, to be fathers, to be employees, to follow Jesus even. You're so deeply in need of the grace of God in your life. And I want to pull you away even at the start of the year from confidence in anything else that you may be relying on this year and say, God, may it be that our confidence is only in you, in nothing outside of you. May 2020 find us secondly treasuring Jesus. Have a look at what he says in verse 8. He considers everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing value is Jesus' worth is above everything else. You measure him against everything else and it's just not really a competition. So the Bible says, who will you compare me to? Who is my equal? Says the Holy One. There's no comparison. And this is my prayer for us, and I would encourage you to make it your prayer for yourself, that God would do something, an ongoing work in our hearts that would make us want to treasure Christ, that we would love him. You wouldn't feel duty-bound to come to church, to do a a whole bunch of things, to turn your life around, la, 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 get involved in this, that God would do something in our hearts that you would find yourself loving God. There would be deep affection for God that's different to the other things that we love. Overwhelming affection for Jesus because we see his surpassing value and worth. Jesus tells 
story, a parable in Matthew 13. You might be familiar with it. The, talking about the guy who discovers the... Um, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. This is like code for basically everything. He says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. I don't know if this verse is there. Is it there? Oh, no. That's coming next. Kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field. A man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything and buys the field. Is that what Jesus is like to us? Discover, sell everything. I need that in my life. I need, I'm, I'm willing to forgo everything else so that I can have that. I know these are difficult questions and your mind is still on holiday. But that's my, I'm praying that God would crowd us in that direction. That we'd see Jesus in new ways with new eyes like that. We'd be willing to forgo everything else if we can have him. It's fine. One of the books that I read on my sabbatical is a very big book called Dominion. Subtitle is called The Making of the Western Mind by Tom Holland. If you like long books about history and the history of the church and the world, read that book. It's, it's, it will shape you forever. And one of the sections I loved was talking about martyrdom and stuff. And he, he, he quotes a lot of um, old church fathers and stuff. And you read from the lips of Christians who've gone before the, the deep joy and sense of privilege that they had to suffer for the sake of Christ. It's like that I would be counted worthy to suffer in the same way that Jesus did. What a privilege. Take everything from me. If I can be identified with him in his death, even be crucified, I'm not worthy to be crucified, to follow in the same steps as my master, as my Lord, as my king. What a privilege. You never ever hear people in this part of the world saying that anymore. I've never ever heard anyone say that. And those words have never come off my lips. But it shows you how far we've drifted from a people who understand the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. That you can literally, literally, not figuratively, literally take everything away from them. And they will have deep joy and count it a privilege that they have Christ. That they know Jesus. They don't need all the other stuff that we prop our lives up with. And I know that some of you are looking at me thinking, that's crazy. I really, really hope that doesn't happen to me. And there's a sense in which I really hope it doesn't happen to me. But isn't there something freeing about treasuring Christ in such a way that everything else pales in insignificance? That he so, he so looms large and magnificent in our lives and in our hearts that we would be willing to forgo everything else because we have understood and come to experience the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. He's not like everything else. Listen to these words from Philip Schaff, is a German church historian. He said this, Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never, as, as were never spoken before or since. And produced effects which lie beyond the reach of any orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion. And furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and sweet songs of praise. Than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. There is no one and there will never ever be 
anyone like Jesus Christ. The surpassing value of Jesus Christ. Paul knew this and he was willing to give his life for it. And my prayer for us is that we would discover it afresh this year. The surpassing value and worth of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, that 2020 would find us righteous through faith. There it is in verse 8 and 9. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. It feels like we've revisited this over months and years. Hopefully this is not new to you. This, this righteousness of Christ given to you, that comes to you by faith in Jesus. This perfect righteousness, this right standing with God that you stand in. It's not because of what you've done. It's not because of the law but the one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, it comes down from God and it's based on faith. It's not based on what you can do, what you can give to God, whatever, it's based on faith, believing that this is true. And I want to encourage you to find ways this year to make this a daily reminder in your life because your heart's just going to run again this year like it does every year. Nothing's going to change. You're going to run to all the other righteousnesses all the other stuff that props us up, I'm righteous because of this, I'm righteous. I've, I've, I've added a whole bunch of categories to things that I think people find righteousness in. You've got the woke righteousness people. Uh, unless you're woke, you're not righteous kind of thing. Like, we're righteous because of our wokeness. We're woke to stuff. So now we've got a new right standing with God because we know what's going on. The vegans. There's a vegan righteousness going on. You're in right standing with God because you, you're a vegan Climate change. I believe in climate change. I'm a climate change warrior. I have a right standing with God. There's a million different ways that you can run to. I'm not knocking any of those things as being good things that you should do and get involved in, except the vegan thing. I don't think you should wander down that path. But The righteousness thing is that the things that you do to make you in right relationship with God. So what are the things that we are running to or propping up our lives with to give us some sense of credibility and right standing with God? And again, Paul comes to that. He says, there is nothing that will assist you in that regard because nothing contributes. You have a perfect righteousness from God in Christ through faith in him, through ongoing faith in him. This year you will need to continue to have faith that God's righteousness is enough for you. That you are welcome and accepted in his presence. That you have been cleansed of your sin. That God has welcomed you as his forever child. Not based on what you've done, but based on what he has done. And we would reject other righteousnesses. That's not a word. We would reject them wholeheartedly. We would war against them because they rob us of the joy that's meant to be found in delighting in Jesus. I'm a bit of an art Philistine. Um, I don't really get it. Um, I never did art at school. For good reasons. I see my kids producing art and, you know, as any good parent, I delight in it and encourage them. But I mean, they are, they're, oh my gosh, they, they need to be good at other things. Uh, they're not artists. It's okay. You know, everyone's got their vibe. And I've, had the privilege to be in different cities of the world with amazing art galleries, you know. I remember Claire and I went to the Louvre, um, and we only wanted to see the Mona Lisa. I mean, that's how much plebs we are. Like, And there, if you've never been, this is free travel advice, they've got signs, like with the Mona Lisa, I don't know if they still have this, but arrows, like saying, the Mona Lisa's this way, the Mona Lisa's this way. Don't believe it. They're sending you on a rabbit trail, 
all around the Louvre because the Mona Lisa is like right by the exit. You can just turn right, go see it, and leave. But they want the art Philistines to go wandering all the way through and say, ooh, look at that, ooh, look at that, ooh, look at that. But everyone's just like, where's the Mona Lisa? Turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right. Take you all the way around there as if you pretended in all the other, interest, interested in all the other art. Anyway, I'm not interested in art. A couple of years ago, we were in D.C., Washington, D.C., and I went into the National Art Gallery. We had some time to kill. Uh, I think I'd annoyed Pete enough, and he went and off to something else. And I wandered around, and I actually enjoyed it. Um, found some massive paintings there, sitting there thinking, this is amazing. I don't even know how they painted these things. The intricacy, you get up close, and you can see it's amazing. I can't draw stick figures, so I look at that stuff, and I'm just absolutely blown away. And they found a couple of benches just to sit and stare at it. I mean, some of these paintings are like the size of a wall. They're sitting there staring at it, marveling at these things. They've been there for ages. Some of them are like a couple hundred years old. Marveling at these masterpieces. Imagine me getting up, taking out my bag with my finger paints, opening up my lids, arranging my colors, poking my fingers in, and just going and touching up and adding a few little extras, you know? Like, this isn't red enough. Just a bit more over this. This needs a little stick man. This needs a car, ambulance, big wheels here kind of thing. Just give it some more pizzazz. You know, I'd get arrested and thrown out, and I would have ruined something that's perfect in its own right. When you bring your goodness and your other righteousnesses into your relationship with God, that's what you're doing. You're busting out your finger, finger, finger paints, and you're mucking up something that's perfect in its own standing. And you're ruining it. You're not adding to it. You're ruining it. You're taking away God's righteousness. The perfect righteousness of Jesus is meant to be looked at and adored and worshipped and marveled at for us. It will do you so much good daily to get into the rhythm of reminding yourself that you have received the perfect righteousness, perfect right standing with God through Jesus Christ, through none of your own doing. Maybe you're here this morning and it's the first time you've been in church for a while. Someone dragged you along here or you, you're trying to get your life together again this year. Here's my encouragement right at the start of this year, that you hear this and you explore this theme, that there is a perfect right standing with God that only comes through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not to be found anywhere else, and it's through trusting in him. It's not about coming to church. It's not about being a good person. It's not about what you do, how much you give, whatever, all that stuff. That's not going to help you. That's your finger paints. You're messing up the canvas there. You come and you trust in him and you say with God that the righteousness of Christ is sufficient for you to be in perfect right standing with God. And then you walk away delighting in that now and for all eternity because nothing will change it. Fourthly, I pray that 2020 would, 2020 would find us knowing Jesus more. See it in verse 10 there, Paul says, my goal is to know him. My goal is to know him. This is, this is Paul. And he's like, don't you know him, Paul? Like, bro, like, look how much you've given us of the New Testament. Like, you've basically changed the world. Paul, in my estimation, if you had the top ten most influential people in the history of the world, Paul would fit into my top ten. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a game changer of an individual who God worked through. And here he says, oh, I want to know him. My goal is to know him. Not in his head, but here. And he, he fleshes out some of it and he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection 
fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. There's some surprise packages in there. This is what I would pray for you for this year, that we'd, we'd understand and experience all of these things. Power. Resurrecting power. The power that resurrected Jesus from death. Says that, that, that's the power that Paul wants to know. Resurrecting power. The Holy Spirit invading your life with resurrecting, life-giving, chain-breaking power. Some of you need that more than others this year. You started the year, this year, pretty much like you ended last year, a little bit adrift. Spinning your wheels a bit. And, and this, is what you, this is what you need. And this is what I think God longs to do. Invade your life with sup- the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. So that it's not just functioning. This is not God's desire for us is just to put one foot in front of the other and just bumble along. Like, I don't know if there's any joy, any purpose, any meaning in this. I'm not even sure if God really exists, but I'm coming along and maybe he's going to surprise me. And that's, not what, that's not the picture that God wants for us in the scriptures. The picture is an encounter with the resurrecting power that got Jesus out of the grave and set him on the throne and gave him the name that's above every other name. That's the kind of power to experience on a daily base, basis as a believer. Resurrecting power from the Holy Spirit. But also fellowship with suffering. If you want to know God, you need to be willing to suffer. I'll say that again, because you may have missed it. If you want to know God, you need to be willing to suffer. I know many of you, I know some of your stories, and I know that you could get up here and testify to a greater degree than I could. That the times of suffering are the times of greater encounter with God. And while you wouldn't delight in the suffering, you would never exchange the knowledge of God that you got through that time of suffering. If you want to know him, you need to be willing to suffer. Jesus has a deeper knowledge, as it were, if he could have of the Father through his obedience and his sufferings. I don't know what 2020 will bring for any of us or us as a church. But I do know this, that some of it will involve suffering. Some of it will even involve suffering because that is how God reveals himself to you. He's not punishing you. He's not angry with you. He's refining you and revealing himself to you. Some stuff you're only going to get when you suffer. You know, all of us want the power and the glory and the resurrecting. Yoo-hoo! Kind of of the Holy Spirit vibes every day. But God's like, sweet, you can, you can have everything. God is one. He doesn't have mood shifts. He's not schizophrenic. This is all the same stuff coming to us. Fellowship of suffering and identifying with Jesus in his death. We'll leave that for a couple of weeks' time. I read something on Twitter the other day. Twitter's not really a go-to place for theological quotes and any depth. but And, and then I went looking for it. I didn't bookmark it. I'm not very good with Twitter. I, I couldn't find it again. So this is a quote. It's not exactly the quote, and I don't know who said it. So at preaching school, they tell you that you should never do this. But this is not my quote. It's all I'm trying to basically say to you in a very roundabout way. It says this, A faith that survives the suburbs will need a dose of monasticism. A return to silence, solitude, and asceticism. Do you want your faith to survive the suburbs? The suburbs is the most dangerous place to be a Christian most dangerous place to be a Christian. 
Everything in the suburbs is just designed to lull you in, make you sleepy. Everything's comfortable and lacquer. If you want your faith to survive the suburbs, you need a dose of monasticism. You need to be quiet. You need to get alone with God. And you need to go without things that you could quite rightly have and enjoy. For the sake of your soul. Say no to things that you could say yes to. You've got the bucks for it maybe. Whatever, you just say no to it for the sake of your soul. There's some things that you have in your life that wage war against your soul. They don't cause your soul to flourish. If you want your faith to survive the suburbs, you've got to say no to it. Some of you, the single most life-giving practice you're going to do this year is get alone on your own with God more. It's going to totally transform your life. Solitude, you're just going to turn down the noise. You're going to put your phone away. You're going to be silent. We've never had more noise in the history of the world than we have now. That's why we have churches that are so flimsy and believers who are just so pup. Because your head is just spinning with stuff and your heart is so clouded and our spirits are so bleh. The noise. And I know I sound like a crazy man, but you'll forgive me. I've spent three months talking to myself and the dog. Sometimes, you know, you, you step back a little bit and you realize, wait a minute, there was a bit too much noise in my life. That's why I was struggling to hear you, God. It's the noise. It's the people. People are good. Okay? You just look at the life of Jesus. He's with people. He's with people. He's with people. The people keep coming. Even when he doesn't want the people coming, they're, they're coming for him. And then you read that he got up early and he left. As was his custom to go and pray and be with his father. He's like, I know you guys need me. I'll be back. And they're like, where's Jesus? No one knows. Can't find him. Oh, but these people, they have needs. This one's having a crisis. This one's sick. This one's confused. This one's demon-possessed. Jesus is like, I'll be back. Let me listen to me. If you hear nothing else, you will be of no good to anyone this year if you don't retreat into the presence of God silently on your own. Are you with me? Please do that. Don't I'll skip Sunday morning at church. I, say, I heard what you said, Doug. Sunday mornings, man, that's going to be my time. I can't find any other time during the week. Make the time. Turn off Netflix. Skip a session of the cricket. Miss an exercise slot in the week. Do whatever it takes for the flourishing of your own soul to get quiet and alone with God. With the Bible. I go sit there, empty mind, God speak to me. He's already spoken. You just open this up and listen. You with me? Open this up and listen to him. Just sit there looking at the trees, hoping he's going to bend the branches. And uh, Yeah, this is it. This is where he speaks. But man, when you do that and you cultivate that as a lifestyle, you, your whole life will change if you're not already in that. Your whole life will change. You will, like Paul says, you will know him. You won't know about him. There are lots of people who know about God. Lots of people. A lot of what I read on my sabbatical was historical theology and stuff. I like that kind of stuff. Reading lots of stuff. People who know so much about God and who were not believers in Jesus. They would kick your butt in a Bible drill. 
In a Bible quiz, they would bury you under the table. Man, they know the stuff, but they do not know the living God. Be very, very careful, guys, that we don't know about him and instead of knowing him. They are different things. Fifthly, I pray that 2020 would find us still on the journey. Still on the journey. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We've just got going. Some of you went on holiday. Some of you have the joy driving with your kids in the car, those of you who have them, on a long car trip. What life-giving moments are those? What precious gifts from the Lord to refine us, sanctify us? Do you know how far we got before we had the first are we there yet this year? Soweto. Soweto. 20 minutes. Jono, are we there yet? I'm like, but we're driving for two days. <laughs> Please. I love you. I'd hate to leave you on the side of the road, but I will if you keep asking me that question. Are we there yet? You're not there yet. You're not there yet. See what Paul says here. Throw up that verse. I haven't already reached the goal and I'm not already perfect. I'm making every effort to take hold. I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. Reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue my goal. This is Paul. Again, if Paul rocked up in here, you, you guys would go easy on him. you say, Paul, you've had a rough time, man. You've accomplished so much. You've done so much. Just chill. Everyone would understand if we just took it easy in the later years especially. Just wind things down. Don't worry about it. Paul's like, I'm not there yet. I'm striving. I'm forgetting what's behind. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. There is more to know and experience of God. I'm not satisfied with what I know of him yet. Some of you have been Christians for months, and some of you have been Christians for decades. And to every one of you, I want to say there is more. You are not there yet. You're not there yet. Some of you haven't started yet, and my prayer is that you would start. This would be the day, the month, the year that you start getting to know him. But that would be my prayer for us, that we're still on the journey. We would understand, oh, there's so much more to know of God, we're going to spend eternity discovering and enjoying. Don't settle. Don't settle this year. And lastly, the 2020 would find us held by God. Held by God. Verse 12. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Do you appreciate that this morning? That God has taken hold of you. Taken hold of you. Uh, one of the things that I didn't get a chance to celebrate with you as a church was the Rugby World Cup. Which is weird because it like, feels like it's a distant memory now. But one of the gifts of being on sabbatical is you basically get to watch every game of the Rugby World Cup and delight in South Africans actually winning something. Um, but think back to the Rugby World Cup. Beast. Dwayne Vermeil. And if you don't follow rugby, it's okay. You can repent and there's a prayer team after the service that can help you. Imagine Beast tackling you. A mate of mine was at the gym the other day uh, and he saw Beast and he took a selfie with him. I mean, he's quite a 
He's not a lean, like, standing next to beastie. He looks like an oak who's just taken out a membership kind of thing. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like scrawny as anything. Those oaks are muscle machines. If beast tackled you, most of us, we'd wake up next week sometime in the hospital, intensive care in Mill Park or something like that. If beast took hold of you, if Dwayne Vermeulen came for you, it would not be a surprise to you. You wouldn't be after that experience thinking, I'm not sure if Beast tackled me. I'm not sure if Dwayne got a hold of me. You would know that they had got a hold of you. When Paul says, I have been taken hold of by God, what he's wanting us to get as well, that you would know that God has taken hold of you, that you are in his hands, that it's not a hope It's not a pie in the sky thing. I hope I'm a Christian. I'm not sure. The ongoing um, emphasis of the scriptures is that you would know through the Holy Spirit that God has taken hold of you, that you belong to him and that you are in his hands and that nothing will ever take you out of his hands. That's what Jesus says. No one, no one's taking these. These are mine and no one will snatch them out of my hands. That is the work of the Holy Spirit to make you sure that you belong to God and that no one's taking you anywhere. But you know with a grounded certainty that you are in his hands. So whatever happens in 2020, it'll happen to you in the hands of God. It may be the the best year you've ever had. It may be the toughest year you've ever had. You will experience this year in the loving hands of God. It is the best place to be. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those who God has taken hold of. And if you haven't yet, I pray that today you would relent and say, God, take hold of me. I don't want to drift through life on my own. I want you to take hold of me with this eternal, steadfast grip of love that you would do good to me every single day of my life. As we close, I want to encourage you this year to be found in him. Found in him. It's not about New Year's resolutions. It's not about a flurry of activity at the beginning of the year. It's not about your new Bible reading plan or some changes that you're going to make or whatever. It's about a, a, a rule of life. It's about a way that you live. Some radical changes that may need to happen depending on how you have been living. That you set up a pattern for living that causes life to come into your soul. So that you can live the way God wants us to live. Here's the, the, you're going to look different. You're going to look different to the rest of the people around you. The rest of the world want to crowd you into living in a way that just looks like everybody else around you. It's not been the pattern for Christians for a couple millennia. That's been the standout feature of Christians since the dawn of time, of Christendom, is that they, the outside world look at them and say, they live differently to us. There's something different there. And it's because they have patterned their life after the pursuit of Jesus Christ. We want to know him. We want to be found in him. We want to delight in him. We want to be with him. It's a rule of life. And it looks different for everybody, doesn't it? Some of you are moms with young kids. It looks different. Some of you are working dads, young working guys, singles, young marrieds. 
Some of you are retired, some of your grandparents, students, all in different places. The rule of your life will look different. The rhythms of how you spend time with God look different at different stages of your life. But they look, this is what they look like. They look like an intentional plan to take a thousand small steps in the direction of God. An intentional plan to take a thousand small steps into the direction of God so that you may be found in him, not just in an identity sense. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, you are a Christian. God's deep abiding delight and desire for you this year is that relationally and functionally you would be found in him. It's not just a head thing. God would set your heart ablaze because you're in relationship with him. You're spending time with him. One of the best things, again, coming out of a sabbatical is realizing you can waste three months spending time with God and not being a helpful contributing member of society in many ways. Yeah, people, all my non-Christian mates ask me, you know, you know, how's work going? I'm like, I don't actually know. How's the church? I said, I don't know, I haven't been there. For, what do you mean? Said, no, I'm on sabbatical. Oh, for how long? Three months. Well, what are you doing? No, I'm reading, I'm resting, I'm chilling, I'm praying. I'm like, and they like look at you like oxygen thief. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we are busting our guts, contributing. And it does something to you where you step back from productivity and contributing to just be at home on your own with God. And realize, who am I? What do I, what, who, who is Doug if he's not a pastor, if he's not preaching, if he's not active, whatever else? Does God still like me? Do I still have a place in the world? Am I still a meaningful member of society? I didn't have a, like a full-on, I'm just throwing out some questions. I didn't like have a full-on crisis around those things. But I did ask myself some of those questions. Because you don't feel like you're doing anything. And God reminded me again and again, that's not what it's about. You can waste time, waste time in the presence of God. It would be the very best thing for you. Produces the most fruit in your life is wasting time with God. I want to encourage you that you make 2020 a year of wasting your time in the presence of God. Don't waste your time on Netflix, pursuing your latest hobby, whatever it is. Waste your time in the presence of God because your soul will come alive. And write this down. You will be the happiest human that you've ever been. I make you a promise because God has made you a promise that Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. The desire of your heart is more of him. Everyone has as much of God as they want. Everyone has as much of God as they want. How much do you want this year? How much do you long for of him this year? Dive in and drink and eat. It's all there. All of him. To be enjoyed by us for the flourishing of our own souls. Let's pray together before we share in communion. Father, as we as we begin a new year, some of it already behind us and the momentum of this wonderful city that we live in is already speeding up. 
we want to take um, some time this morning to just quieten our hearts before you and verbalize our, our prayer and our desire for what we'd love to experience and to see and to know this year. And we want to pray that as a church you would help us to know you more. We realize collectively we're not there yet. We're still on, on the journey. There's so much more of you to know and enjoy and to discover. And we pray that this would be a year where we discover in new ways the power of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us, the grace of God that sustains us in the midst of suffering, what it's like to be conformed to Jesus in his death and resurrection and glory. We want to know you. We want to say, Father, this morning that we've got no confidence in any other things. We do run to those things. We run to our other confidences, our other areas of righteousness. And when we do that, Father, we pray you'd pull us back. And you'd cause us to fix our eyes and our hearts again on the su sufficiency of Jesus. Jesus, you are more than sufficient. You're of infinite worth and glory and majesty. There's nothing and there's no one like you. And when, when we've been bored of that, we repent this morning and say, Father, would you please forgive us for getting bored of the inexhaustible glory and riches of who you are. And would you do a work in us? This is what we the most desperately need, a work through the Holy Spirit to cause us to be newly amazed by you. Hearts that love you and serve you, not a duty, but just out of absolute delight and joy in who you are. We want to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ this year. Not just a couple of us, all of us. And for those who are here this morning who haven't yet trusted in you, we pray that you'd grant them the faith to look to you, to trust you, for right standing with you. That That's sufficient, Jesus, what you've done in bearing our sin and forgiving us and welcoming us in as your children. Breathe over us, Spirit of God. May this year be a year of inextinguishable joy amongst us because you are our delight. And you take us to places we haven't been before. We come to know God more. That's what we long for. Please, would you help us? Thank you that this is your great delight, Father.